0: Welcome to the Alcohol Rethink Podcast with me, your host, Patrick Fox. This podcast is for the guys out there who question the role that alcohol plays in their lives, Many who want to stop drinking and don't know where to go or how to start. We're going to cover all of that and more. Let's go. Hi, guys, and welcome to the Alcohol Rethink Podcast. Today is episode number 50. I am so stoked. It's quite a well it feels like quite a monumental number, right? The big 50. So I'm going to celebrate that number for myself and also I'm going to celebrate you guys, all of you who've been listening and tuning in and getting what you need from this podcast. I've had over 30,000 unique individual listens, man. Like it blows my mind. That's 30,000 times that My words have been able, potentially and hopefully, to have an impact in other guys' lives, to help you to start unlearning your desire for alcohol, to start rethinking how you see yourself, how you think about alcohol, like really starting to consider how is it or who is it that you want to be in this world. And to celebrate episode number 50, I've got a very special guest on, an extraordinary guest, if you like. And that guest is none other than my mum. Now, the reason I wanted to invite my mum on is because I think it's very poignant, to be honest. I think growing up, my mum, well, actually, let me just backtrack for a moment, right? Like, it's it's Friday, the 20th of May today. I am preparing to fly out to Cyprus tomorrow. We are going to Cyprus because my granddad, who passed away late last year, is final request was to have his ashes scattered in Cyprus alongside my grandma and my uncle Stephen who died at a very very young age of around six months old and every year or most years like when my granddad was younger at least like they went to Cyprus fairly often they used to live out there and we go into this in more detail during this podcast episode so it's It's quite emotional just thinking about it, you know, like going over there tomorrow and flying and laying him to rest. And in this episode, I've got my mom and I wanted her to come on so that we could talk about what it was like growing up with one, my granddad, because my granddad, an amazing man. Like he left so many great lessons and gifts for me that, you know, sometimes I didn't realize we're there until after he's died that I've actually begin to see like how much of an influence, how much of an impact he's had in my life, right? How much of his work ethic and his values have kind of rubbed off on me. And throughout his life though, he was a drinker, like a fairly heavy drinker at times. So i got my mum on and we're going to be talking about that. Also talking about then like my mum marrying my dad. My dad was also a very heavy drinker or still is. I don't have a relationship with him anymore at least not a physical one right like I obviously have a relationship in my thoughts but I really wanted to come on and and to talk about like the impact that drinking has not only on the drinker but also on the family units because one of the most important things for me in my decision to stop drinking was to kind of break that chain of addiction to to disrupt like that generational pattern habit of alcoholic fathers like I'm going to say it so it was really amazing for my mum to firstly agree to come on to this episode so I just want to thank you again in advance and also just to learn more about it for myself like there, there are things in this interview that I'm about to share with you that I wasn't aware of either. Guys I'm going to pass myself over to myself as I've said previously and just I'd love to hear from you if, if any of this episode resonates with you, right? Like, just drop me an email, coach at patrickjfox.com. Just let me know your thoughts, right? And without further ado, I'm now going to start the interview with me and my mum. Thanks, guys. Take care. All right, mum, welcome to the show. Awesome to have you here.
1: Hello, Patrick. Awesome to be here.
0: Yeah. It is and I'm really looking forward to this episode and as as we've just been preparing for it in advance like there's things that I didn't know about to come up as well so that's really quite fascinating so the reason I got you on and the reason I think that the listeners will benefit to this show is because it's just about like giving perspective like having a different context to like the impact Alcohol has in relationships, and we've got generational relationships here, right? So we're going to be talking about like my granddad, your dad. We're going to be talking about my dad and your relationship with him. And then we're also going to be looking at like what it was like between the relationship between me as your son and you as my mum, and how that that generational kind of alcohol dependency plays out. And you know, one of my key motivating factors was 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 breaking that chain for myself um yeah. thinking about like how I wanted to show up as a dad and and seeing how I was showing up when I was drinking and really not liking and kind of like looking into the future and imagining I don't like where this is going at all right for lots of different reasons so yeah welcome perhaps just kind of quickly give us a brief intro of yourself if you wish
1: oh hi um First off, thank you so much for asking. So I think you mentioned the word perspective. I think that's really important as well. Mm. So no shame, no blame, just a, a completely different, honest honest perspective. Who am I? I'm Patrick's mum. <laughs> wow. uh, I've got two boys, so mm. I may may mention Kieran, Patrick's brother as well. And as you said, it's going to be really interesting to have a look at that generational alcohol addiction and the perspective of it as well from well from both of us how we both saw it because one of the things that's really interesting is as a family we've noticed that we perceive things in very very different ways you know like with granddad particularly because he passed away in November so it was really fresh for us well we thought the memories were fresh and we're having conversations it's like how did I not know that was I not there And I could have been in a room at the same time so it's what we take away from the relationship as well so I think that that's going to be really interesting to have a look at
0: yeah and starting from there I guess with Granad right because it, it you know a little bit raw still perhaps and knowing that he's only like if you know not been with us for a few months but like being able to use his 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 story which he shared with you like towards the end there which I think is gonna yeah. be really powerful and that'll make more sense in the moment when when you talk about <laughs> it but and, and yeah. I've spoke about him on here before like not necessarily about alcohol but about when he quit smoking right like he he smoked for I spoke to him about this he smoked for nearly 40 years then in the 90s he had a few years where he he, he quit and then he like hit it even harder right like he was smoking up to nearly 40 60 cigarettes a day
1: oh easily
0: yeah yeah and then like that story he had an accident with his foot he went it wasn't recovering wasn't healing it was almost a year later he went to the doctor and the doctor said look Mr Rogers if you don't stop smoking you're going to lose your foot and in that moment he stopped smoking and I just think it's so fucking incredible and powerful to see like (laughs) That's how quickly we can change our, our mindset into like our brains to create change in ourselves. Like all of a sudden, faced with this fear of not having a foot, he stopped mm. smoking cigarettes.
1: Exactly. And it, it was it was an incredibly powerful motivator for him. And the I think for him, a losing a foot, you know, I'm sure we didn't want to, to do that, but also he was incredibly independent even though in his you know his last few years he, he did have to rely on a little bit more support he was still really independent 85 when he died he was still living in his own home and he yeah. was sharp sharp as attack um which is you know alcohol had not affected his mind at all that was that was always really interesting but it was in that in that moment he made a decision that was it and yeah. not one other cigarette past his lips. We, we found, when I say we, I mean um, your Auntie Deborah and Uncle Gary, we, we found some cigarettes. They were Benson and Hedges and they were tucked away in the back of a cupboard. And we absolutely knew that they weren't his. What they whose they were was grandmas. Remember, she would um, oh yeah, you'd have the odd one, the odd to, one, to yeah. Kier, yeah, <laughs> Kieran actually thought that cigarettes were called odd ones, so and that's what he would say. But they oh they were definitely I absolutely knew that he never I'd touched another one. Yeah, they they were I suspect just well not suspect I absolutely know they were grandmas. Yeah, yeah,
0: he'd left them there to remember her by.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. So and and. Yeah, I, 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 it's funny. It's like it's such an inspirational story, and I just love how how we see the mind working in that way. So, towards like actually like right up until like when he passed away, like he was drinking fairly heavily, right? Like he had his yeah, he routine. Yeah. yeah, he had his yeah. routine, and he he loved his brandy and. I actually remember when we were younger, we used to go around there. Like he was used to have Super Tenants in the fridge as well, right? Like, which is a super strange yeah. beer, and he was drinking till the end. You know, I think a lot of that was through boredom. And as you said, like he he was independent, but he didn't really want to go out and do many things, did he? He was very because um, he had anxiety, as we know. Well, as as these guys are about to find out as well. Like, he's quite anxious. And even at the end there, like, before he went to the hospital, he had started putting, what was it, gin or something into... Gin,
1: gin in bottles of Leucozade. Gin into yeah. bottles of
0: Leucozade, yeah. Like, hiding, yeah. hiding it away, and he was drinking that as he was waiting for the ambulance to take him to the hospital still. Yeah,
1: and, and I mean, the crazy thing about that, what, literally a week before... Um, I'd been there with my cousin, Michelle. And, um, and he was very honest about this. This is the really interesting thing, even though, and, and we'll talk about this a little bit more about when it comes to my behavior as a child of, a wife of, a mother of, somebody who drank, my behavior has been very secretive. There's been lots, for me, lots of shame. Um, I don't think I could have had this conversation a year ago to be perfect, because I would have felt so ashamed to, to be able to, to have it with you, but <clears throat> Granddad was always very honest about what he was doing. He, you know, he never hid the fact that he enjoyed a drink, and the gin going into the Aid wasn't him hiding that from anybody else because he was very open about it. It for him it was the practicality of it because. It meant that he didn't, he wouldn't lose his tumbler. You know, he wouldn't smash another tumbler because he could have a drink and then he would nod off, and then the tumbler would go on the floor. It was a really practical measure because he was living on his own. He didn't have, he wasn't trying to hide it from anyone. So when I was there with, with Michelle, he was saying, "Oh yeah," he said. So you know, I, I top up my Lucasade, I have a few swigs of my Aid, and then I top it up with with the gin, and you don't know, do this. When Auntie Deborah had called me and said, We're, we're with dad and um, we're, we're giving him some drink of Luco's aid, I said, Do you have to stop? He's actually self medicating, you know? And I explained what was in there. She didn't know, but only because, again, not because he was being secretive. Just She didn't know. She just didn't know.
0: That's it. But even that just shows like that dependency and like making it as easy as possible for him to, to, drink alcohol right well, and,
1: access it. yeah 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 oh yeah there was a, there
0: was a very very clear strategy yeah yeah and I, I mean i only share that story not to besmirch his name in any way shape or form but like just like out of fascination of like human behavior and what we do because i don't mm. i you know like when we drink alcohol or do drugs or any of these things like a lot it's not because of that's who we are it's because of that Impact it has in the brain because of that addiction that it creates you know, and like mm. wanting to fulfill that, and as you said, like that um self medicating that dependency, so let's kind of like explore right like let's go back in time to when you were growing up, right like being with granddad right at the very beginning, perhaps if you want to mm-hmm. get us started there yeah,
1: as a child, I was never really very sorry, when I say a child, an infant. You know, as an infant, I, I definitely wasn't aware, not consciously anyway, that, that he drank. Um, and in actual fact, it's only stories since, that I've things that I've, I've been told. Um, I probably became more aware that he enjoyed a drink, as we said in the day, when I was coming up to age 11, 12. And interestingly enough, that was the period of time when I actually then went to boarding school. So I was going to boarding school because there were no um, English schools in the, they, they were moving to Belgium. So there wasn't a school for me there. So I was going to boarding school there. So it's a little bit like, you know this, cause you've got a child now. but if you, if you don't see somebody for a lot, or if you don't see an infant for a long time and then you see them and you go, like, oh my goodness, you've grown. No child wants to hear that, but it just kind of pops out your mouth. For me, it was like that with Grandad, where I went away and then I came home for the school holidays and I was much more aware of his behaviour and things that, that were going on at home and the random things that he would do and, and genuinely acts of kindness. But they were they were also very random and, and sporadic. Um, And around about that age, 11, 12, 13, there was nothing about me that was um, fearful or bothered. But as I got older, then, uh, you know, I didn't want him to meet my friends, for example. That's where the shame started really building up because when he was was not drinking, he was um, anxious and agitated and not wanting to meet people and then when he he was drinking then he just became too much and it was for me as a child it was just embarrassing and i know you've had that experience with me with you know sort of like you don't know or didn't know me as a drinker but when i did drink you didn't like the fact that i did because it was embarrassing so i get that
0: well and even with um dad right like i remember episodes of being around him and he was drinking there other people there, and like he like lost his shit is mm. the only word I can use to phrase it and like you know yeah. at a very young age that has a real big impact on on your psych not only because of you know like this is your parent and how they're speaking to you but because of because of our humanness and wired desire for connection right and like how other people might perceive that and stuff as well so You recognised that you didn't like kind of being around because you were kind of almost like trepidation, perhaps even fear of like what was going to happen?
1: Trepidation and fear. I just didn't like it. I felt really, really uncomfortable. And, And a lot of that was probably very much down to the dynamics between my parents as well, between grandma and granddad. Because grandma, she... She didn't drink. She drank, you know. If she did, it was high days and holidays or birthdays and holidays. You know, that was it. Literally, she would have yeah. a, you know, brandy and cherry coke when she went on holiday, and um, maybe a celebratory champagne at Christmas or birthdays. So lots of tension for for her as well. Now she neither. Interesting enough, neither of them were very confrontational people, which sounds odd because you you would have um, experienced Granddad being quite. Um, loud and you know was never backward in coming forward but he, he would avoid confrontation so the experience that I had unlike yours was more the, a sense of that there was something going on and so that's where the fear was for me you know there was I felt like I lived my adult child with my sort of like teens onwards walking on eggshells and um, learning to behave in a particular way. Something I see in you, you know, where I'm I'm the one who can hold the party together, not because I'm drinking, but it's like, I'm very mindful of behavior and activity and who's doing what. If somebody's talking too long, I can anticipate that something may kick off. So I'd move them around and, you know, and things like that. But so I was always on hypersensitive, hyper alert is how I was, yeah.
0: like that's about emotional availability isn't it yeah you know
1: yeah and it you know um that was like the 70s it's not something that that we ever it was anything that you you've ever heard about the 70s was quite true you know as a child you did as you were told or you just got in trouble so and even i remember um my sister actually confronting him once and saying that it wasn't very nice and that he was doing it i don't know in her perception he'd spoiled a party and we'd have to come home early so she's like why do you do this all the time um but it wasn't all the time i think that's the really interesting thing and that's why i said to you at the beginning you know no shame no judgment no blame or anything like that it's just recognizing like with granddad he had such high anxiety and i can completely understand why and and alcohol was his medication
0: yeah Yeah. and especially in the role that he had right like in the raf and (laughs) we still don't know entirely what he did in that role but (laughs) yeah Um, like uh, you know it was
1: sensitive yeah yeah it was sensitive
0: but it was it's like also, culture, right? Like in that environment, it was expected to drink. Like it's post-war era oh. as well, right? Like this is is almost very Victorian, like wasn't it? Still,
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and the, the the patriarchy, you know, it's like yes. um, it, where, interestingly enough, it was, you know, you know, the family comes from the north of England, and for the women, it's let's put the kettle on, you know, and let's make a cup of tea. But for the men, it's like let's get the bottle out. And that was very prevalent during, during his career, you know, in the military as well. But it just is the way that it, it was. Um, so the interesting thing is, is for me it didn't seem unnatural. It was only until I went to boarding school, until I was out of that environment and I saw how other families behaved, because I'd been in this really tight container. And um, then when I wasn't in that tight container and I was staying then with other family members um, and I was staying with friends and I observed their family's behavior, I couldn't have put my finger on it, but I just knew that something was very, very different about our family.
0: And so how did that kind of influence you as you then went through your like teenage years and into your early 20s, I guess?
1: Um became very secretive. Um, you know, I I none of my school friends know, and, and that's interesting because I did that with Eddie as well. I remember saying to, to one of the women um whose children were about the same age. So we we knew each other through through you and, and her children as well. And I said I was leaving, and she said, I just don't understand it. She said, You have never even said as much as he gets on my nerves you've never complained about him. We thought you had this really happy marriage. So I had learned this, um, <laughs> what is it they say? It's, it's, it's still dung, but I would put glitter on it and try and make it, you know, everything's fine, everything's fine. So that's my, my raison d'etre. It's okay. Um, and... So secretive, secretive. I colluded as well, you know, in the in the not so much with, with Granddad, though um, unconsciously I definitely did, um, but but certainly with with Eddie, I'd try and make it all go away, hope, you know, hope that nobody ever noticed. I felt like the little boy with the dike. I was constantly trying to fit my fingers in the holes so that it didn't all all the water didn't come in. So very secretive.
0: And so, when did you realise that? Well, the question I was going to ask is like, when did you realize that you kind of like married the the your father <laughs> in a sense, which probably sounds a bit weird, but you know what I mean. But like, also, no, I do mean also that. his like, when did you start to notice that he he had a dependency to alcohol? I always knew that Eddie had. You know, in hindsight, I I
1: yeah. always knew. Um. Because when we were still living in a military culture, so I'd gone away, I'd gone to boarding school, and then I'd ended up in a military culture again. You know, I carried on living there in Germany. and I lived in, I started working for the Nafi, same environment, same environment, same people. And um, for us, we lived in the Nafi hostel, um, which was amazing, you know, great food. We had a roof over our head, really nice rooms. We weren't paying for it. It was all paid for. So any... Anything we got paid was all our disposable income. We didn't have bills to pay. It was nothing unless you bought a car or something like that. And then we, then we had a, a club across the road, the Imperial Club, which is where at the end of our day, we would go home, have dinner, shower, change, go to the Imperial Club. So that was just the, the pattern of behavior. And again, I was in that environment where everybody else is doing it. So it must be me. So there was a lot of that as well. I used to think that I was the odd one out. And it's interesting because we were looking for photographs for, for granddad's funeral. And I, I, came across photographs of me at that time. There is not one where I am smiling. I look miserable the whole time. And it was like, I, I asked myself the question, why do I look so miserable? And then I was like, Oh, because I was. So because I really felt like the odd one out to be the, the one in, I had to be a part of the crowd and drink, but that just wasn't for me. So it, I couldn't keep up I didn't have the stamina and I don't think my body can process alcohol the way that some other people can and I react quite badly to it, which isn't a bad thing actually but yeah
0: yeah well I mean there is that like there's lots of studies that it does impact people differently but we also got to remember about tolerance levels right like the Mm -hmm. more you drink the more you have to drink in order to get drunk or to get that same level of dopamine so you know some people just had a lot of training which is why they look like they can drink so much more it is so fucked really because that's one of the things I used to pride myself on is like how much I could drink and how fast I could drink and I've shared that lots of times in this podcast but you know like you can get really wrapped up in ego and identity as well so yeah then you then because we want to be Because we want to be connected, right? It comes back to connection. We start thinking, "Oh, well, I'm not like them. Maybe this, maybe it's me."
1: Yeah, and that is genuinely what I thought. Is like everyone around me does this. Maybe I'm, I'm, you know, odd in so much as I'm, I'm not a complete person because I don't, I don't do all of these things. But I did drink. I'm not saying I didn't drink, and I didn't like how I felt after drinking. You know, I, I, I never got to that tolerance level. I never got to that point where I could carry on I and mean, it wouldn't wouldn't matter. Um, you know, I would just not like myself because of it. So I kind of went the other extreme. I went the extreme, mm. um, and even now I can feel the odd one out. You know, when when I'm at a party. Although I do think it's become much more mainstream now to say no thank you to a drink. And and instead of, oh, have one, it's only the one, you're not driving, you're okay. It's like, I really don't want a drink. I just don't fancy drinking. It has become more mainstream and and really good to be able to say that. And that's only happened, I would say, in the last few years where you can say it not
0: feel well for me i can say it not be embarrassed yeah I, I, it's such a great and valid point as well is that you know, in order to r- maintain status quo is like we have to think that we're doing the same as everybody else and you know especially in our english british culture like alcohol is a main part of everything that we do essentially yeah and so yeah yeah, like recognizing like if you're listening guys like choosing not to drink doesn't mean you're the odd one out it's like you're the outlier right like you're that one who is looking to create change and not everyone's going to agree with it but like in order for change to happen there have to be those brave few souls that step up and say look I'm not doing this anymore like maybe there's a different way which which we've really seen like over the last few years as well right with Black Lives Matter, for example, like there's been a massive movement in that because for so many years, like people have been aware of it, but nothing had happened with it. But since the tragic death of George Floyd in 2020, like it brought the movement and racism itself to the front of people's minds. You know, it created this opportunity where people are more willing to step up and say, look, this isn't okay anymore. And I think also you know that's what's happening with alcohol like people are starting to wake up to the fact that no alcohol is not good for us it's it there's zero benefits to drinking alcohol like even if you kind of want to delude yourself with thinking that it's what makes you feel relaxed and stuff like it's a sedative Mm -hmm. like it sedates you it doesn't make you feel relaxed you're literally drugging Mm -hmm. yourself to feel better and yeah I feel like I've just gone off on a bit of a tangent with all of that but I think it, it's
1: really important one though because what we're talking about is that, and it's relevant Patrick because I'm talking about or mentioning culturally alcohol was was accepted in fact it wasn't just accepted it was expected to encourage to drink earlier you know I was drinking way before the age of of 80 I could have done a lot of things or I did as you know as a kid but I could have Show myself up with, with alcohol and that would have been okay <laughs> because it's like this rite of passage um but then there could have been i don't know give somebody the side eye or something and i'd get into major trouble for that because i had shown granddad up but i could be rolling around drunk and that would be okay it's perfectly acceptable which is and that has actually happened you know extreme um, and <laughs> growing up with that is really really confusing and and Go, you know, going on from that, the, the culture that I was brought up in is the culture that I do think is now evolving, and I think it's amazing. Even not the, that I really have them, although, if I wanted to, but it's like the alcohol free drinks and things like that. But, um, so th- that wasn't an option before, yeah. I couldn't, have, there was no segue, you know, like smoking to vaping to stopping or patches, and so there, was no, there was no segue. Um, yeah, we both weren't off on a there. <laughs> but I think it's relevant because it, it is about the environment that you're brought up in, which is relevant for you. You were also brought up in that environment. You had one of two ways to go. You could drink or you could not drink because you had examples of both.
0: I think it's this idea of like being drunk is excusable behavior. Like, that's one of the real fallacies in our society right now, right? Like, oh, they must have been drunk, so it's okay. So, like, last night I started watching a program with Gemma on Netflix or Channel 4. I can't remember exactly what it was. And it's called Chivalry, and it's got Steve Coogan in it. And it's about the Hollywood movie culture
1: and about, like,
0: again, patriarchy and about how, like, Men were dominating or dominating, and like getting women to perform sex acts on them, and all of these types of things as well. And you know, it, again, it's just showing like that change is happening, not just with alcohol, but in in lots of other areas.
1: Mm. Yeah. um
0: And yeah, that's it, right? Like it, it's excusable behavior, but you know, there comes a point where we have to say no. That's it's not okay. Like just because you're drunk doesn't mean that you're able to get away with like smacking someone on a bum for example which was one of the things in the program yesterday
1: that's the collusion side Patrick for me it's you know when I when I think of you know even even with you but with with granddad I would um I never would have told anybody that he liked to drink you know to use that expression and with Eddie definitely not you know there was lots of collusion. We, um, we used to go to and entertain, you know, lots of dinner parties, because again, that was that was what was expected, that was quite normal for the environment that we, we were living in. And of course, by a Saturday night, the, the, he was ready to really let his hair down. This was in the days where shops weren't open on a Sunday. So, you know, the lifestyle was also very different. But by probably about eight, to nine o'clock of an evening time, he could be asleep on somebody's sofa, and you know snoring away. And I could see the eyes around the table, so I would go full on into I, you know, think, "Oh, well, I'm protecting him," and it's like, "No, you're not. You're protecting yourself." I just oh, got yeah. so embarrassed, you know, and um, and I was say, "Oh, he's just had a really, really hard week." And um, yeah, you know, we probably, I probably should have suggested you have a nap before we go out. I knew that he was absolutely comatose because of the amount of alcohol that he'd drunk, but I couldn't even, just couldn't. So I, I wouldn't have ever, I wouldn't now. I just had so much to drink, he's passed out. <laughs> but, yeah. but I never said that, I was embarrassed. He'd embarrassed me, he'd embarrassed himself and yeah. And he knew, he knew that, again, for him, um, he had his demons as well. So going back to the question, how did it feel <laughs> I married my father, basically? It's, um, it's strange. We're just attracted to the familiar, right? And so that's with the brain. The brain is yeah. always attracted to the familiar. I was yeah, attracted always... to what was familiar.
0: Homeostasis, right? Like, wanting that familiarity... Yeah. In, is there's almost like a certainty which is you know like i spoke about this as well like we get addicted to certain feeling states like some people are addicted to drama you know like and they yes. keep recreating yeah. that in their lives like in the relationship Ooh. that they have for example so yeah. um just one more thing like as we kind of f- wrap up from from eddie dad thinking like <laughs> you know that there was something you shared with me about some of the triggers that you used to have around him and alcohol
1: yeah one of the biggest triggers for me with him and still it still is is the sound of a can opening that yeah. sound just I can just feel it reverberate through through my body and there's an exp- expectation of something bad's going to happen it's, which is completely extreme because somebody could just as easily be opening up can of lemonade but it it still has the the same impact on me it's that it's anticipation of what's to, to come as well um yeah and you know the interesting thing is as well you know talking about trigger but also talking about my lifestyle now I tend to surround myself with people who aren't big into drinking you know we're big into other things like theater and dining and Movies and walking and, you know, just conversation, stimulating conversation. Um, yeah. Yeah, because I'm very mindful of of that. Um, but always wanting to to stay out of the way as well. You know, I I hate it when anybody raises their voice. And that's not to say I don't raise mine because I'm as capable as the next person. But, yeah, that, that can trigger me as well when I see a voice. And there's a certain sound. I know this sounds old. But... There's a certain sound to the cadence of a voice raising from somebody who's been drinking and somebody who's not been drinking. It's just this thing, this sound that I notice and troubles me.
0: Yeah, again, it shows how incredible our brains are and how our nervous mm-hmm. system gets activated by like these different associations as we yeah. go through life. So yeah. then, you know, what what happened because my ninth birthday, we moved back to the UK. I always remember because I got stung by a wasp. <laughs> my hand doubled yeah. up in size.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and you split up with dad at that point, unbeknown to, to me and my brother. So then, like, what was your reasoning behind that?
1: Well, it's interesting you say it was unbeknownst to, to you and, and Kieran. Again, it comes back to the secretism. And that wasn't from me. That was actually from him. He just didn't want right. anybody to know. Um so the, the primary reason was I was done. I'd had enough. You know, sometimes I think I couldn't tell you um, <clears throat> well, I can tell you actually, but it was I know I know when it was, but a very, very long story short. We we had been to um relate, which is marriage guidance three times. <laughs> and maybe, maybe I'm being paranoid, but I actually thought that the on the first two occasions the um, relay counsellor colluded with him. You know, it's kind of like, you know, why don't you want to go and enjoy yourself at parties? And why this? And and in hindsight, I probably didn't tell her the whole truth either. I didn't express myself in the way that I would have liked to. So of course, she was never going to be able to to help. Um, but things happened, things that I wasn't thrilled with, you know, in regards to work, he was very close to losing his job on more than one occasion. Um. And he always got by by the skin of his teeth. He was quite well connected. People he knew would be able to kind of like pull him pull him out of the, the mire. Um, and on one of these occasions, the, the last time this had happened, it, it brought a lot of disruption to our family in that um, we were living in a remote area. And because he was posted to another, another base, there was a lot of driving involved. And the, which meant you and Kieran having to come into the car as well. Um, and it was just before, I hadn't really noticed how disruptive or discombobulating my life was. But on that occasion, I thought, we're getting up at stupid o'clock to take you here because you behaved so poorly in that other role that there is no alternative to give you, you for them to give me this job. So as I say, a long story. And I just thought, I'm just done with this. I'm really, really done. Um, so I had a conversation with Eddie and I said to him that for me, that our marriage was over and that what, and I offered him three, three options and I'm ridiculous when I think about it now but the first one was we go back to relate, the second was that I left and I took you and Kieran with me and the third one was that to all intents and purposes we stayed together um, but we lived independently and we weren't to let anybody know that this was the life that we'd chosen Um, and should either of us meet anybody then that was okay as long as we were completely honest with with each other and of course he goes for option three because well that's the easiest option you know the other two Mm. would have meant him having to do something about it and he didn't want to do that so in his mind and mine as well there was uh that's the easiest option to to be taken um at that point, I was working a couple of days um, a week and I was approached by a young man who offered me out for dinner. He was a client and he invited me out for dinner and I said, well, I, I'm married. And then when I got home, I said, you will never believe it. This young pup asked me out today. and He just kicked off, just majorly kicked off. And in that moment, I thought, I can't stay. This, which is bonkers, nothing had happened. I hadn't gone out for dinner. It just—it was like we had uh, me. I was being very ridiculous. It was like an agreement we made three years ago that I thought he would would honour, but he he didn't. Um, I just realised there was no reasoning with him. That if I I either had to stay on his terms or leave, and I wasn't living a life, Patrick. You know, I was. It was you and Kieran, and that was it. You know, going going to work on a couple of days, but. It wasn't good, it wasn't healthy. So for me, that was a real turning point. He wasn't happy about that. Things happened um, and that really just made me more resolved that that I had to stay. But he didn't want me to let either of you know that I was leaving. It was almost like if we didn't share that with you, then it wasn't happening. So for him, again, there was that collusion again. Let's just pretend it's not happening. I always think, well, I know, that he always thought that he could win me around fair play because for 12 years he had so no longer than that because we were dating for two years before we'd even married so for 15 years he'd always managed to turn me around but when i was done i was done that was it
0: so fascinating because like in a completely different context but that's how i decided to stop drinking alcohol i just like i'm done <laughs> this relationship yeah. is over and it's not maybe it's not that fascinating because it is still a relationship right it's like, i'm just done like i've had enough of this i can't do this anymore yeah. exactly exactly what happened with you in the relationship with dad so what happened afterwards right
1: so afterwards as you know we came back to the uk and um Then not very long afterwards, he followed us. So for me, it really felt like, because what what we didn't share is that we were living in Germany at at that time. Um, And by choice, I moved to the UK so that we could be near to his family because my dad, your granddad and grandma, still hadn't got a fixed abode. He was still in the civil service, and so there was always the possibility he would move around, whereas moving here, moving to Watford, there was family members from from Eddie's side um, nearby and then not very long afterwards he moved he moved back and um but I didn't enjoy that I just really thought that I was I wanted to just get away from it completely and start living living this new new life and one of the things that I shared with you earlier was um I went to al which um is intended oh well I'm sure many of them do but al is for um, individuals, children, and partners, and any family members, friends who have been affected by someone close to them who who have an addiction to alcohol. But one of the things for me, it was just too too whiny. I wanted to. I really felt myself wanting to move forward after making that decision. I'm done. I didn't want to stay there and just keep talking about it, which was very frustrating for Eddie because he just wanted to talk about it and talk. I said. I'm done, you know, those words, it was like, maybe if I was to have a tattoo, that should be it. It was like, I am done, I'm moving forward. Um, But Al-Anon for me wasn't the best environment because I didn't feel that I was to to move forward. Um, So for me, it was really going into a lot of self-discovery. That's why I'm sure I was attracted to coaching myself. That's why I was sure I was attracted to so many healing modalities, to NLP, to all of the things, because I was seeking answers, which for me, I didn't, I didn't get from that one.
0: Yeah, so that was a bombshell. I never knew that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: yeah. I, I, and at that time, so what that's like early 90s, is that I don't think coaching was – it was in its infancy – you know, Definitely I think Tony Robbins has been been around for a little while. First but it book. Was not yeah, yeah.
1: First book I'd read. Um, I remember going. You know, the, I the, um. got oh god, I can't remember the name of it now. Awaken the Giant Within. I can't remember. And yeah. um, it's a really thick book, but I was so absorbed by it, and that made me realize that I I actually do. I personally have the power to to make changes in my life. One of the most empowering books and then many, and then many, many, many of them years later. So if I've got an addiction to anything, it's books and continuous learning.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know, like addictions come out and all sorts of things. I wrote a list of things I've been addicted to the other day and it was like chewing gum, PlayStation, you know, like just com- oh, fairly God. random things, yeah. but things that like I had to have a lot of because they kind of derive false pleasure for me. And so, something I wrote down. Oh my God, and...
1: But just going to that PlayStation. So, when, when we were in Germany, you know, you had, you and Kieran had Sonic the Hedgehog. I could not wait to get you both off to school and I would go upstairs and play it. I was absolutely. Oh, really? It. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I forgot to. You just said, oh wow. my goodness. Bing, bing, getting all the rings. Yeah, and getting your dopamine yeah. off
0: the rings. Yeah, nice.
1: Absolutely.
0: And so, yeah like we were saying a few moments ago not about sonic but before that is like (laughs) is 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 responsibility like recognizing that we have the power like something else you said as well which i think is so fundamental is like expressing your truth like like being being really honest with yourself Mm -hmm. about what it is that you want and what you're no longer willing to tolerate like there's such massive things in my mastermind yesterday with the guys like we were talking about responsibility and it, it's a big thing to realize that yeah. you're the only one to blame <laughs> you know like oh, there's no one else
1: yeah <laughs> no you know where you are you take yourself yeah we are always we're always responsible because we, we're choosing to be where, where it's happening I've no regrets absolutely no, no regrets from, no um, and it, I you know it is what it is and and I you know i I had a great life out in Germany. There were things that I really loved about it and things that I truly loved about Eddie as well. And there was a lot that I didn't love. But, yeah, so when I was done, I was definitely, definitely done.
0: Yeah, just that sentence, I'm done. Like, when you feel that in your bones, like, it's really incredible. And, okay, so that was that. And then Mm -hmm. there was me. growing up right like what what was it like when you began to notice that I'd started drinking so you know like for context when we used to go to dad's house like we used to be taken around the pubs all the time and I remember one time Weatherspoons didn't even allow kids in the pub and we would just be left outside right just sent to Woolworths to buy loads of stuff and then I think now like oh I wonder where I got my addiction for sweet not not my addiction I'm not addicted to sweets but you know like where I had got that over desire for wanting to eat sweets all the time it's because like Ooh. moments like these where we would just like put in positions where we just like eat all these sweets so I can go and have a beer for example so Ooh. like you weren't aware of that you only found out afterwards like when we were a little yeah. bit older so yeah. you know what was it like then seeing me and Kieran I guess to a degree like starting to drink
1: Um, Well, again, I think I really put my blinkers on and, you know, I pretend, oh, it's just lads growing up. And again, you know, that old learned behavior, because that was the kind of thing that granddad would say. He didn't have a lot of kind things to say about Eddie when he was doing it, but, you know, it was more, oh, boys will be boys. And um, there was, that's it, it in general, but then there were times when, when I would actually see the behavior playing out and I would worry and I'd be like, oh, my gosh, we go, you know, are they going, are you going down the same, same route as, as Eddie? And honestly, interestingly enough, despite the fact that we've just talked about the fact that you know, we're the powerful creators of our own life, we make the same decision, we, we get to choose, I actually felt powerless, Patrick. It was like, I don't know what to do. It was like, it's like alcohol is my nemesis. I don't mean for me in you know, drinking alcohol, but alcohol just seems to be one of the patterns that shows up and disrupts and um, damages relationships. Yeah. So it, yeah, it was painful and I felt powerless. So, yeah. I have well, a I, I, for you. Oh, go on. You go on.
0: Sorry. What well, I just want to say, like to a degree, you were right. <laughs> like you have, we have yeah. no power over what other people do. Like we can't control. I
1: tried to. Yeah. I tried the things, you know, lock the door, don't let you in, don't come you know, all of those things. Or, um, but I do remember one day it was where I, I was up at like six o'clock in the morning working, and one of you came in, and to, to give that context. I could only go to sleep at night when the door had shut twice. And yeah. then I could go into a deeper sleep And um, twice because of you and, and Kieran. I don't know what I thought was going to happen. It was just I was catastrophizing. Catastrophizing? Yeah, that um so the door had gone twice I went to a deep sleep I woke up in the morning and I'm doing doing some work and um the door opened and it was Kieran that walked in I went what are you doing here so I didn't even know you were out and he was like what kind of mother are you not to realize your children are out and I went the one that heard the door go twice but in actual fact he'd come in and gone out so the door had gone twice and you weren't even at home So neither of you were there. And it was at that, at that moment, I "I have absolutely no control about what happens here. None. I am powerless. Fascinating. Like
0: how we can, like our brains can be deceived, right? (laughs) Just by hearing two clicks of a door and and all that meaning and sense making that it does as a result.
1: Yeah. Crazy. Um, Because, you know, those two clicks of the door meant neither of you were there. Yeah.
0: It's, and yes you can ask me a question in a second but like even the other day said my youngest son he he had apple juice and he was coming up to me and saying oh look daddy it's beer and he, even then i'm like oh man
1: <laughs> yeah
0: yeah So, and it, this is this is the culture like um people think it's funny to pretend kids that they're having beer and wine and stuff but mm. like we've got a, it has an impact you know like
1: yeah. learned behavior. Right? yeah they
0: learn like uh, maybe ask your question because I think maybe we might be related
1: yeah but also on, the, on that question because I said something to you, well, it wasn't I wasn't expecting a response but it's like how thinking about you and Kieran the choice that you both had was to do what Eddie did not to do what I although lots of what you both do are very similar to me you know there are values that I see that just seep through you but in terms of the alcohol that's what I'm talking about but I do recognize it's like what the masculine does. So it's yep. followed the masculine. Or if it, you know, if I'd had daughters, then then maybe it would be different. So I do see that we're looking at gender. But the a question that was mulling over in my mind is you're a parent now. So in my case, what do you think you would have done? Or, or what advice would you give me in hindsight or anybody else who's in a similar situation?
0: No, are you know, Witnessing
1: the I... child thinking.
0: Yeah. And so I know you've said this before, right? Is like the, one of the reasons that you left Eddie was because you wanted to break that pattern. And then like you saw it yes. repeating anyway. And and here's here's what comes up for me is like it wasn't your pattern to break. You know, like mm. you you'd done what you could. Like we yeah. again, like it comes back to like what's in our control, like. Eddie was still drinking like he was still we were still kind of in that environment we were still seeing that and I think what advice would I offer for myself (laughs) going back now or even like for the future right because even though what my main reason is because I want to break this chain of like alcohol dependency in in you know in men and in our family is that my son still might drink right and for all of those reasons because of peer pressure because of ego because of masculinity and wanting to fit in and just our human nature to want to connect and this world we live in where we think alcohol is connection and it's it's the fucking opposite right like we know that alcohol doesn't really help us connect and so I think that I think you just have to go to that place of trust of trust that you know they're on their own path it's almost like yeah. releasing the reins, you know? Yeah. Especially now, like yeah. not even with alcohol, like with, with my daughter, Amelia, she's like 13, almost 14, and, and she's her own person. Like she's doing her own things. They're not things that I would do. Is that to mm-hmm. say that that's any more right or wrong? And yeah. again, right, like I think it comes back to responsibility. Like we have to be responsible for... How we want to show up, and recognizing that we can't control our kids, we can't know that. Like we can show up for them in the best way we can, and guide them and advise them. But you know, life yeah. things happen.
1: They do, and actually, that that's really wise. And smart. you know, I remember conversation I had with Kieran not so not so very long ago. And he said, "God, you must have hated me for whatever it was that so he felt that he had done." I went. I never hated you. I may not have liked your behavior, but I've I never hated you. And, yeah. and I, for me, that was always there. And I think that's really, you know, some people just say, I've done, just done things. So, but same as granddad, you know, it's kind of, there was things that had happened. Never, never the, the hatred, deep understanding for, you know, the, the anxiety that he had and things that had happened in his life. You know he. he he was the parent who found a six-year-old baby in his cot, who died, you know, and I'm... The, you know, the irony is, is that's why we're taking him for the internment so he could be with Stephen again. We just don't know what's going on in other people's lives. So I think there's there's so many levels, and this is your work, but I think of it now, because it's your work, I'm, I'm more aware of it as well. You know, why, why do people drink so much? It's not just about fitting in, it could be the self medication. It's just oh, yeah, so it's very many other
0: things.
1: Yeah. And um, uh, you're right. You know, we don't have any control. I think as a parent, for me, one of the things that I really had 100% commitment to is irrespective of behavior, I would always be there. you know it didn't matter what happened there was always a roof over your head i was always going to be here and we'd work it out
0: that's what love does like yeah love always right yeah exactly like even even if like my son or my daughter decide to drink or drink to excess right like I might feel disappointed, but I think really owning that I, it, I'm not disappointed because of that. I'm disappointed because of like my own belief systems and what I think is right, quote unquote. Also, yeah. I think, you know, one of other thing about advice is knowing, you know, we can only control ourselves. We can only control what we think, what we do. I think the the, the best thing, maybe not the best thing, but one of the best things is like, children don't learn by what we say they learn by what we do Mm. so how are you going to show up as an example for your kids right are you going to tell them not to drink but sit there drinking a can of beer or are you going to stop drinking are you going to make changes in your life like are you going to do things that are going that your kids are going to look up to and think like oh wow like that's available to me also yeah
1: being the example that's so true I think that is very very true yeah and you know, sometimes there just aren't any answers. And I think it is really just comes back to love. I think you just have to love them despite it. And that that's really where, where I was with Grandad, you know, just his love despite it. Yeah. Because so he didn't mean any harm. Yeah. And you know, I've shared this with you before. Well, all the family know, you know what the the last Coherent conversation. I would say that I really, because there were conversations after this, but um, he he wasn't always lucid. But the last coherent conversation that I had with him was was about addictions, just addictions in general. And, and he was in hospital. He was really upset. We hadn't realised quite how poorly. Well, he he'd caught another infection while while he was in hospital, but. He, he just cried and he said addiction is really hard it's the one thing so for granddad there was a lot that he could control in his life there was a lot of things that he did that were really smart he was clever just all of those things you know when he was on form he was on form and remembered by you all as an amazing granddad and but he he knew his demons but despite being able to de- decide to give up smoking, he wasn't able to ever make the decision to stop drinking, and and I think it's just really incredibly sad that, that he didn't do that. I think he just gave up. To be perfectly honest, but he he just was so upset for just everybody for humankind. He was upset. You know, the addiction was so hard.
0: And. That is why I fucking love what I do. <laughs> because you know, <laughs> Yeah, addiction... I love what you do as
1: well. I think it's amazing how, God, it's just, when you think of 80 plus years, nearly 90 years of alcohol addiction.
0: Yeah. yeah, like it doesn't have to be hard. Like I think, you know, like once we start uncovering those stories that we tell ourselves, once we learn about the brain, once we learn about what alcohol really does to you, right? Like, we be, we can really disassociate with an addiction versus you know it being a brain problem and not a a me as a human being problem right
1: yeah yeah so powerful yeah i mean god i just wish Glandon had had somebody like you to talk to because back in the day they just used to give them um, tranquilizers you know he was on valium for I do not know how many years for anxiety but all that did was just it elevated it even more and that's a whole nother story and a whole nother podcast for you to talk to with a specialist because it just there were so many layers to it so the valium didn't help it all it just made it worse
0: that was oh, something else I was addicted to <laughs> at one point in my life um yeah mum it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. It's thank been you. cathartic and revealing. And I, I truly believe that any of the guys and, and any of the ladies or any listeners out there who are going to pick up on this episode are going to take a lot from it. So thank you very much for being you.
1: My absolute pleasure. Thank you, Patrick. And thank you for everything you do for helping men because it's important work, really important work.
0: Um, one final question, and I know that time is almost up for us. But essence.
1: <laughs> I know, I know. But yeah. like,
0: what does it mean to be radically human for you?
1: Oh, my God. Well, it comes back to quite a few of the things that we were talking about. So if I was to encapsulate it, live a life that you love. Be truthful. Be truthful with yourself. Be truthful with, with others. And be the
0: example, be the example, yeah. Beautiful.
1: Love and truth, two words.
0: All right. Well, on that note, much love and much truth to you, to all of our listeners, and I will see you again soon, guys. (laughs) Thanks, Mum. Thank you. If you want to find out more about working with me and seeing how I can help you stop drinking and start showing up in life the way that you really want, visit patrickjfox.com to find out more or book a free consultation using the link in the show notes. Until next time, take care.